Welcome back, my fellow Inquisitors. Uh, we have a fair bit of news to get through. We've got some new stuff to cover, some follow-up to the mystery of the whereabouts of Gonzalo Lira, uh, a little bit of e economics to get into following from yesterday's uh, talk about the Russian economy, uh, as well as some Russian losses to discuss that have been announced. So let's dive straight in. The DPR announced the beginning of the assault on Azovstal. I believe what we'd seen before was the softening up uh, with some munitions, artillery, what sort of, we featured some videos which uh, YouTube felt were worthy of demonetization because it showed unedited clips of war, um, which is interesting to note. Uh, military groups of the People's Militia of the Donetsk, Donetsk People's Republic, there's a mouthful, have partially begun to storm the territory of the Azov-style plant in Mariupol. Partially. The assault groups selected to storm this object have begun their work. The Russian Federation is helping us a lot in this. This is aviation and artillery. In the near future, the pseudo-defenders of the Ukrainian people will still surrender, and people in Mariupol will breathe easy, Basurin said. Um, it then goes on to cite the previous um, ceasefire that was announced. If we go on, we have a video that's circulating Telegram, um, of an Azov commander claiming that there are civilians and children in the Azov-style steel plant, which begs the question, if there were, why weren't they released at the first ceasefire? You know, it, yeah, you let, let, let that sit with you. Anyway, he's claiming that, no, 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 don't, don't storm us, we've got civilians in here. Okay, we'll let them go. Never mind. Uh, special forces began to storm the territory of the Azov-style plant in Mariupol, said Eduard Basurin, a representative of the People's Militia of the DPR. Basurin also called fake information about the presence of civilians in Azov-style. He might have a point. Um, maybe. Uh, we don't know at this point. However, not taking any risks. The Russian Ministry of Defense has said, taking into account the catastrophic situation at the Azov-style metallurgical plant, as well as guided by purely humane principles, the Russian armed forces once again offer the militants of nationalist battalions and foreign mercenaries from 12 o'clock Moscow time on April 19th, 2022, that is today, the day of recording, to cease any hostilities and lay down their arms. All who lay down their weapons are guaranteed the preservation of life. From 1300, it's the establishment of communications. From 1330, Moscow time, the militants of nationalist battalions and foreign mercenaries, on the one hand, the Russian armed forces, together with the military formations of the DPR, on the other hand, declare a ceasefire and guarantee its strict observance. The actual beginning of the ceasefire by both sides is indicated by the raising of flags. From the Russian side, red. From the Ukrainian side, white around the perimeter of Azovstal. Uh, in addition, the fact that the parties are ready to introduce a ceasefire is confirmed by all communication channels. Once this has been done, from 1400 to 1600 Moscow time, uh, so yeah, that's coming up in an hour and a half's time from now, the exit of all Ukrainian armed units and foreign mercenaries without exception, without any weapons and ammunition. Once again, we call on the official authorities of Kiev to show prudence to give appropriate instructions to the militants about ending senseless resistance and leaving the hotbed of resistance. However, realizing that they will not receive such orders and commands from the Kiev authorities, we urge them to make such a decision on their own and lay down their arms. And of course, um, 
release any civilians that you may have or may not have. That that kind of goes by the by, doesn't it? That's kind of a given. Intriguing. So there we are. Another ceasefire has been announced and permitted for these Azov guys. Meanwhile, moving on to Gonzalo Lira, George Galloway has tweeted, why have you allowed this? Uh, a Twitter support and Elon Musk. Uh, here's Botsman UA. Uh, very uh, intriguing. I don't want to say intriguing. Uh, yeah, let's leave the word to describe this individual. His, his Twitter account has since been deleted. But he claims the irony of Gonzalo Lira, a Chilean, being caught by a guy with the call sign Chile is hilarious. Anyway, let's hope the uh, pops up on Telegram soon. So, yeah, ni- nice guy. Very nice guy. So he claims that uh, this Sergei, uh, this Chile guy, has, has captured um, Gonzalo. Here we have another uh, tweet, an interesting one. The US psychopath cheering about Gonzalo Lira's disappearance, calling for his murder, was previously known as Michael John Cirillo. Now the name and gender of this person have changed to Sarah Ashton Cirillo. She is embedded with Ukrainian forces in Kharkov. And here we have the press card, and on it, it even states former former name Michael John Cirillo of the USA. Very Another very intriguing character, as you have discussed in the comments. I will say no more about this individual. Uh, let's move on to this uh, this call sign Chile guy. So back on the 29th of March, it was reported that Russian special forces forces captured Ukrainian torturers. This was referencing these horrific videos that came out. That even Alexei Arestovich reportedly condemned, which show again shows how the Kiev regime has no control over these these um, battalions and these psychopaths. The captured men were identified as Ukrainian citizens Sergei Velichko, nicknamed Chile, and Konstantin Nemichev, a member of the fan group of local metalist football club, the, the Azovs. If we then scroll down this article, it doesn't say when it was updated, but it says update. According to most recent reports, Ukrainian military uh, Konstantin Nemichev and Sergei Velichko recorded a video message in which they stated they were still in Kharkov. They were not captured by the Russian special forces, they added. Earlier today, State Duma Deputy Shamanov said the Russian special forces had captured Nemichev and Velechko. So there is an open question here. Uh, And once again, who's to believe? Is it the Russians that they've captured them or the Ukrainians that they have not? Um, It's very difficult. So I've put in um, Paruski because if you put in in English, um, Sergei Velechko, it doesn't come up with much. Once you put the Russian in, you then get a lot more information. Um, When you do that, we then have this article uh, from Versia, again, .ru. Uh, It talks now about this exchange of prisoners with um, uh, Medvedchuk. Recall at the end of last month, militants of the Kraken unit of the Azov battalion, Sergei Chilivilichko, Ruslan Olenik and Konstantin Nimichev filmed a video of torture and murder of Russian military. The footage was so horrifying that even the advisor to the president of Ukraine, Alexei Arestovich, criticized the actions of the militants. However, the torturers themselves escaped punishment. So they weren't captured. And this was published. I'm not seeing when. I thought it was fairly recent by my filters. Aha, here we are. Posted 14th of the 4th. So that's five days ago. So I'm suspecting that no, uh, the article in Pravda.ru was indeed incorrect. Uh, we have another one here, Aridas.ru, for whom to capture, who to change captured Marines. Google Translate, thank you very much indeed. Let's scroll down once again. 
However, the perpetrators were not brought to justice, it says, referring to um, Vilichko. For Chile himself and his killer buddies, this is the only way to save lives. In Russia, there is no death penalty, even for war crimes. But in the war zone, they are a real hunt. Hence why they call it a safari. Um, so then if we go to the Ukrainian sources, Kharkov today, here we have this video that was posted. So it's looking like uh, Nimichev and Chile were not captured, as claimed by uh, Shamanov and published in Pravda.ru. So there is um, potential. Um, that Gonzalo was indeed that the Azov are not lying, but then equally they're not, they don't appear to be the most um, trustworthy individuals, full of integrity and honour, do they? Uh, let's move on to what I talked about: the economy. No doubt you've actually heard about this in the West because it's not it's not um, it's not positive for Russia, and this is a reality. Um, this is what's posted in Russia Today. Russian economy entering difficult period. So yesterday I covered the topic from Putin where he said that the ruble has withstood today so far the sanctions. So that was talking in the present. Moving forward, Elvira Nabilina, the head of the country's central bank, was then talking about the future because there was a comment where, oh, why didn't you cover this topic? Oh, shows your bias. No, I didn't have time because of Gonzalo Lira. Gonzalo is a little bit more pressing, but here we are. We'll cover it now. Our economy is entering a difficult period of structural changes associated with sanctions. As I said, sanctions primarily affected the financial market, but now they will begin to increasingly affect the economy, Nabulina said, speaking in the State Duma on Monday. According to the official, Russia still has reserves to support the economy, but they won't be able to sustain it much longer, especially after roughly half of them were frozen abroad by sanctions. The period when the economy can live on reserves is over, and already in the second, beginning of the third quarter, we will enter a period of structural transformation and the search for new business models, she said. When the threat of disconnection from SWIFT first appeared in 2014, we developed the SPFS, which operates according to the SWIFT standards. Foreign participants interested in working with Russian partners can join and are already joining it. At the moment, 52 foreign organizations from 12 countries have joined the SPFs. SPFS, she said. We are not starting from scratch here either. We have already launched and developed such bilateral projects with a number of countries. Now we are negotiating with partners in different countries in order to normalize the situation with payments as soon as possible. The official also noted the positive effect that the rise in the central bank's key rate had on the economy under the sanctions pressure. According to her, the 20% rate introduced last month resulted in a rapid deceleration of the inflation jump that occurred in March, which enabled the regulator to reduce the rate to 17%. We will not try to lower inf inflation by drastic measures. This would prevent businesses from adapting, and we definitely need to cope with a period of adaptation. So a very realistic uh, article there. I have a lot of respect for um, Elvira Nebulina. Nebulina. Um, she's done amazing work, and she rightly has uh, President Putin's support and respect. Uh, and I, obviously... The fruits of her labor are clear for all to see, causing much chagrin within the West, much wailing and gnashing of teeth. So it is with interest that I see this article published uh, just an hour or two ago. Um, the central bank intends to challenge the freezing of reserves in court, according to the head of the regulator, Elvia Nibilina. Due to the freezing of part of the reserves, additional currency control rules had to be introduced. So Russia's uh, going down the legal route to try and 
unfreeze these assets. I I don't think they'll be successful. I I think they know they don't be they won't be successful, but at least they're trying or at least exhausting all possibilities. Moving on uh, again, some people are like, why don't you cover Russian losses? I try to only cover official sources. There are obviously um, penalties for spreading false information. So it's not that I won't unless I come across an official source. And we understand that the Russians are keeping this very close to their chest. However, in the spirit of balancedness, I will bring to your attention the commander of the Russian ship died heroically during a special operation in Ukraine. Oh, calm down, calm down. It's not Moscow. Uh, that captain was present at the parade, so they say, and reportedly. The death of the captain of the large landing ship of the Black Sea Fleet, Cesar Kunikov, uh, was announced in his telegram channel by the governor of Sevastopol, Mikhail Razvozayev. The head of the city said that his courage, professionalism, and experience saved the lives of the crew members. This was the ship hit in um, Badansk, was it? Was that the name? Yeah, oh, let's scroll down and see. Ah, uh, yeah, here we are. According to Razvozayev, in the port of Berdyansk, the large landing ship Caesar, uh, or Cesar Kunikov came under fire from Ukrainian nationalists. Thanks to the courage and professional professionalism of the crew, the ship was saved. However, the captain of the ship, Shiv, Shirva, was seriously injured during the battle, from which he died. At the same time, thanks to his action, actions, many sailors were saved. So they do acknowledge that uh, it was actions of uh, Ukraine that brought about the the fire that we saw in the videos, or at least the videos that were shared. Russian officials have previously reported deaths of high-ranking military personnel in Ukraine. So on April 16th in St. Petersburg, they said goodbye to the deputy commander of the 8th Army, Major General Vladimir Frolov, that's quite difficult for me to say, who died during the military operation in Ukraine. He was buried in St. Petersburg at the Serafirmovsky Cemetery, the press service of the city administration reported. Prior to this, the governor of Sevastopol, Mikhail Razvozayev, reported the death of deputy commander of the Black Sea Fleet, Captain First Rank Andrei Pali, during the battles for Mariupol. On March 17th, it became known about the death of the commander of the Kostroma Regiment of the Airborne Forces, Colonel Sergei Sukarev, the TV channel GTRK Kostroma reported. On March 3rd, it became known that the deputy commander of the 41st Army, Major General Andrei Sukovetsky, died in Ukraine. The tragic death of a high-ranking military man was reported by his colleague Sergei Chipilev. So there is a roundup there of some of the notable Russian losses and the tributes paid to them, and also some some information regarding the circumstances that brought about their deaths. Interestingly to note as well, the Russian MOD, I've shared it in my Telegram channel, I won't cover it here just now, but they've provided in-depth documents regarding each individual Ukrainian casualty. So they've listed every single uh, engagement and the result of that engagement and the effects. So uh, to justify all their numbers they are now releasing each individual instance with full description which is phenomenal uh, and it's extremely in-depth if you're curious i recommend you take a look but it looks like they're taking pains or going to great lengths to uh, demonstrate um, both their professionalism and the uh, truth behind the words that they are 
um, claiming. So there we are. I think I'm going to wrap it up there. We've covered quite a lot. Again, uh, still watching this case with Gonzalo Lira, uh, wishing him all the best. Uh, really don't know what to make of it, and I don't want to speculate. Again, if you're going to make claims in the comments, please back them up with sources. If you're fearful that YouTube is going to delete your comment for spam, which it often does, then share it in my Telegram, and then I can proceed further. But if you're going to make bold claims, not cite sources, it's quite potential that I'll remove that because we, we can all speculate and we can all come out with stuff and it could potentially be quite damaged to the damaging to the individual concerned uh, or the family of. So I will leave it there. I wish you all the best. I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.